Second Corinthians 9, verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are working through, or actually finishing up, this series called Get Greedy. This is our fifth and final message in this series, um, and uh, we'll talk more about that. Next week, we're starting a new series, and uh, it is appropriately and wittily named Advent. Um, that's kind of what we're coming up on. After Thanksgiving, the period between Thanksgiving and Christmas is known as the Advent season. The word Advent means arrival. That's what the word means, and the, the, the breaking in, the arrival, the coming of something momentous, something important, something significant. And of course, there's nothing more important or significant than, of course, the coming of Christ. And so we're moving into this season of celebrating God breaking into human history but by the Creator becoming part of His creation, God becoming a man, right? God in the form of, of an infant, um, profound. And so that's kind of what we're preparing our hearts for and looking at. But the reality is, as we think about Advent, we're not just thinking about Christ. I want to prepare our hearts by thinking about everything that came with Christ. Because the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ into this created order was also the advent of everything we've been longing for but couldn't find. It is the coming, the arrival, the breaking in of hope. The arrival, the breaking in of joy, of love, of freedom. The things that we crave and continually seek and we can now find because God broke in to human history. So join us next week as we start this four-week series, just preparing our hearts um, for the Christmas uh, season, but really just as well preparing our hearts to be good worshipers. This week, we're wrapping up our Get Greedy series. And uh, this week, we're talking about how we should get greedy for a legacy, that there is a sense in which we should be, again, if we're greedy for the right things, it frees us from greed from the wrong things, and we should be greedy for a legacy, something that lives beyond us. Because we have a unique opportunity as a church in front of us to leave a legacy, to, to leave something that, that outlives us, right? And uh, to prepare our hearts, I want to show this video. I showed this five weeks ago. I figured it'd be a great time to show it again, kind of bookend the series. So let's go ahead and show the video that we made. You want to impact a local community for good. You want to address issues of education, poverty, social injustice. There is no better way to impact a local community than to plant a local church. Because you're going to get people who live in that community who come to love that community, who address the issues of that community. It's about planting a hope that's going to rejuvenate and change that community. Walking in Christ is a community on mission. And those three ideas, walking in Christ, as community, on mission, pretty much defines who we are and what we do. Um, we're about loving God, we're about loving each other, we're about moving out in love to people that don't know us. Trailhead's not exactly a traditional church name, and what I realized was I wasn't really naming it for us. Um, I was naming it for the community, I was naming it for the people we hadn't met yet. What I found was Trailhead seemed to resonate, um, that, that name 
And that's partly because Edwardsville is a town surrounded by trails. We have hundreds of miles of bike trails through the Metro East. And that idea of trailhead connects us. The trails connect all the communities. It ties the entire community together. The trailhead is the place where the trail begins and ends. It is the origination and the goal. And, and in that sense, it's a very spiritual reference in the sense that God really is the beginning of our stories and the consummation. He's the one that, that, that began it all and, and he's the one that's wrapping it all up. And in the middle, we're traveling this story. We're living our stories. We don't value just the insiders. I mean, that really is. There's a sense in which we want to welcome people in. We're kind of the beggars who found bread, but it's more bread than we can eat, and we're just happy to share it. And so there's that sense in which you're going to find that here. You're going to find people that are, that are eager to just say, hey, man, this is, this is what we got going on here, and, and we'd love to share it with you. We have a unique opportunity right now to sacrifice, to invest. What we invest in is going to last way longer than our presence. And so my hope coming out of this, one of, one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is, is obviously provide a need for, our, for our, our own body, our own people, that we'll have a place to meet. The building is a tool that we can use that's going to enable us to, um, to serve our people, serve our community, and serve the, the broader mission of the church. is that this will be um, not just a church that lasts for a couple years, but a multi-generational church, a church that will be in this community long after I'm gone and will continue to fight for what it means to be real, to, to really follow Jesus, to experience and, and know the love of God, and to connect with our community in a meaningful and um, in a relevant way. historic crossroads. You've heard me say this numerous times over the last five weeks, a historic crossroads for our young church, a challenge, an opportunity. And we have a great opportunity to, uh, to make a difference. It's going to last well beyond our presence here. Uh, and this has been a great opportunity for us, honestly, to talk about money. The last five weeks, we've talked very directly and very clearly about what God has to say about how we use our money and how, honestly, as followers of Christ, we are to be freed from the love of money by getting greedy for grace. And uh, it's been kind of fun, honestly. I've had a lot of conversations over the last five weeks, and the number of people that have really just kind of come forward and talked about how this series has impacted their lives, impacted their hearts, um, made a direct impact in some ways in, in, in how they were um, using their money, but how their money was shaping their heart. I mean, it's really been encouraging. So we've been sitting for the last four weeks in these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, very important chapters in the New Testament on, on giving. And we've pulled out four key principles on giving. So week one, we talked about the grace principle. And the grace principle simply says that we are to be driven by grace math instead of greed math. Greed math says that, that I'm an owner, and what I need to do is just add a little more. And then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. Then I'll finally have what I want, right? So a, a little more house, a little more car, a little more food, a, a little more pleasure, a little more comfort, a little more savings, a little more retirement. Whatever it is, I look at what I have, and if I can just add a little 
more, then I'll finally be content. The problem is that math never adds up, right? We are instead to be driven by grace. And uh, grace basically looks and says we're stewards, not owners, right? That, That God has given us everything we have and we're to steward it as wise managers for His glory and really under His direction. And and grace math basically says, I look at what I've been given, and I add to that a level of gratitude appropriate to it, that I recognize God has richly blessed me. And what that does is it frees me up to joyful generosity. Instead of being a hoarder, I become a giver. Instead of becoming someone who is protecting my own kingdom, I am moving out in joy to advance and be part of the kingdom of God. The second week, we looked at the fairness principle, and the fairness principle basically says that that, um, God expects us, when we give, to to move forward in equal sacrifice, even though our giving may not be equal, right? So so it's not a matter of uh, as simple as, as, well, if I give this percentage, then that part's God and the rest is mine, right? If I could just give this much away, then the rest is is my dominion. It's not the way it works. God says it's all mine. Everything you are, everything you have, I've given to you by grace, and I want you as a good steward to follow me with it, right? You need to ask me how I'm leading. And what that means is that ultimately, God is looking for us to move forward in equal sacrifice, even though our giving may not be equal. And this is good news because it means that if you don't have much and you can only give a little, your gift is not insignificant. Your gift is important because the sacrifice you're making in giving that gift will free your heart up to engage grace. The flip side is, is just because your gift is big doesn't make it automatically important, right? Because some people have the resources to give a very large gift that actually represents very small sacrifice. The price they have to pay to give that gift is very small. And what ends up happening is, is that will actually insulate you in pride. What, what God is saying is you need to give sacrificially, right? Because in sacrificially giving, what you're doing is you are, in fact, coming to God and saying, who you are and what you have is more important to me than what I can buy. You're going to meet me in ways that this thing I want to buy or this thing I want to invest in is not going to meet me, right? It's an act of faith where you're saying to God, you are going to be more fulfilling. You are going to be more satisfying than what I can procure for myself, right? So equal sacrifice, not equal giving. We talked about the faith principle. And the faith principle says very simply that God wants us to step out in obedience and trust, right? When He says, look, I want you to give sacrificially freely, joyfully, that we respond by, by actually doing it, even though in the moment it feels like a sacrifice because we're giving up something to give that money away. Every time we give something away, we're, we're sacrificing something we could have owned or consumed or something we could have looked to to anchor ourselves in, right? And in the faith principle, what we're saying is I'm stepping out in faith, trusting that God is going to meet me in this gift in a powerful way. I trust Him to, to change me, to meet me, to satisfy me in ways that whatever it is I was planning to buy won't, right, or couldn't. So I'm stepping out in faith and obedience, trusting that as I move forward in, in obedience, I'll experience the joy of obedience, that God will, in fact, multiply, and He promises to do so. He promises to increase our joy, our experience of grace, to change our hearts uh, as we release our, our death grip on our money, And He promises to, in fact, as our hearts are changed, to free us up to greater generosity, that He will, in fact, entrust more to us as we become generous, because instead of hoarding it, we're going to to, um, free it up, right? We're going to give. He promises to multiply the seed as we become uh, generous in the sowing of that seed. So it's a faith principle. We're trusting God. 
that he is going to be more fulfilling and that he is going to live up to his word. This week, we are going to be looking at what we call the legacy principle. And the legacy principle says this, very simply, there is a ripple effect that is caused by our giving that ultimately is greater than the cause itself. Like, like a, a stone that is thrown into a, a still pond, right? There's no wind blowing and the water is calm and you throw a stone out into the middle. Those ripples will spread across the entire pond. But what we find, what God says will happen, is that when we give in grace, the ripples actually get stronger as they go. That there is a greater effect than what the cause could have and should have produced on its own. And this happens because God loves to magnify the faith of His people. He loves to honor their faith and to build their faith and to magnify that faith. And so what ends up happening is that the effects are greater than the cause. Now, we know life is, is governed by cause and effect, right? I mean, this is common sense. We know that, that there is, life is a series of effects that have resulted from causes, right? Uh, it is a rich and long-standing tradition in the Mizell home that we love um, pretty much once a week to sit down and eat, uh, eat a meal, uh, watching America's Funniest Home Videos. You guys ever watch that? That show is proof of cause and effect, is it not? I mean, that's the entire premise of that that whole show, right? If you give a kid with a pole to hit a, you give a kid a stick to hit a pinata, that's the cause. The effect is he will hit somebody in the groin or possibly the head, right? And, and it will be funny. Um, you put a middle-aged man on a pogo stick trying to show off to his kid, gravity will win, right? The, there is a cause and there is an effect. And we know that, right? We know that. We know that, that if we exercise regularly, we feel better, Right? We know that if we, we go on a, a Big Mac diet, we, we will look like a Big Mac, right? I mean, there's a cause and there is an effect. That's the way life works. When it comes to our giving, when we step out in faith to give sacrificially, freely, joyfully, God increases the effect of the gift. The effect will be greater than the cause. Why? Because God loves to magnify our obedience for His glory and for others' good, and honestly, for our own good too. As we step out in faith, He loves to build our faith. As we step out in sacrifice, He loves to encourage us in that sacrifice, to prove to us He is in fact trustworthy as we step out in trust. And that's kind of one of the the key principles that we see through this whole passage. Now, a couple weeks ago, we looked in, in verses 10, the, the, the passage we're looking at today, and we talked about how this is part of the faith principle that, that God tells us to give, right? That's the, there's a command there. He tells us to sow, but He encourages us by reminding us that He's the one that even gives us the seed to sow, right? I want you to go sow, but I'm the one that's giving you the seed to sow, and trust me because I'll keep giving you more seed as you, as you sow, right? And then He takes what we sow and He increases the harvest. And so some key principles that come out of verses 10 through 14 as we look at this. In verse 10, he says, he who supplies the seed to the sower, God, the sower is us, the one who's casting the seed, and bread for food, the one who provides for our needs, he'll supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here's, here's the principle. You can't outgive God. You can't outgenerous God, right? The Macedonians, we talked about them at the beginning of this chapter, they tried, <laughs> They gave and they gave to the point where Paul himself was like, holy cow, you guys. 
but they trusted that in their giving, God was going to meet them in powerful ways and, in fact, take care of them and multiply their seed for sowing, right? You can't outgive God. He is the one giving, so you can give to begin with. Second principle we can see in verse 13 is that giving is, in fact, the natural result of grace. Take a look at verse 13. It says, by their approval of this service. Who's their approval? He's talking about the, the uh, Jerusalem Christians. Remember, Paul is conducting a multi-city, multi-church capital campaign. He is raising money so that he can give a gift to, to believers in Jerusalem who are suffering for the purpose of taking care of their needs, but also of advancing the mission of the early church, right? So he's saying when they get this gift and their approval of it, in other words, their pleasure at receiving this gift, their joy at receiving this gift, their, their acknowledgement that others had sacrificed for their good, when they experience the approval of this service, they will glorify God. Why will they glorify God? Because their needs are met? Because they have enough money to buy food? Because they can pay their rent? Why will they glorify God? Look at the rest of the verse. They will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. What they're going to see is the gift, but what they're really going to see is the heart behind the gift. In other words, they're going to look and say, these people were generous and I'm thankful for their generosity, but more than that, I'm thankful for them. I want to be like them. See, that's what happens when when we are gripped by grace, we become generous. If you have believed the gospel and are believing the gospel, you will become a more generous person. That is the natural effect of grace. If you are not becoming a more generous person, you are blocking in some way the natural effect of grace in your life either because of your fear, you don't want to trust God, or because your, your idolatry, I don't want to give up my security, I don't want to give up my pleasure, I don't want to give up my comfort, I don't, I don't really believe God's going to meet me in that. See, what I'm saying is, is if you believe the gospel, and you will become more generous, because grace will start freeing your death grip on your possessions. Grace will free you from being a short-sighted materialist into recognizing that there's a kingdom much greater, an investment much worthier, right? When, when the gospel gets our hearts, when, when they see that, and what happens is when people see that, man, then they know you really believe. When people see you and they see you moving in generosity, sacrificially giving, they're amazed, not by the gift, but by your heart. What they're saying, <laughs> you really believe this stuff. You really believe this stuff. You really believe that there's a kingdom that's greater than this one, that there's a life that that is bigger than this one, that there's something worth living for bigger than this life. You really believe that. And when they see that, it turns their hearts in worship to God. It will turn unbelievers to wonder at the gospel. It will turn believers in worship to God because it provokes in us a response. That's what he's saying is is when you're gripped by grace and you move out in generosity, it will provoke in others a response because giving is the natural result of receiving grace. And as you move out in grace, it will cause people to crave the very grace that is freeing you in beautiful ways. The other thing we see from these verses is that when you give, there are multiple beneficiaries. When we give, the people we give to benefit, right? The, The Jerusalem church would benefit. There's no doubt about it. They, their needs would be met 
But honestly, so would the giver of the gift. In fact, that's one of the primary themes running through these verses is that when you give the gift, you are blessed. Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive, right? A lot of us look at that as something that would go on a nice little Hallmark card, a nice pleasant thought that really doesn't have much root in reality. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that's a nice thought, right? Kind of like one of those, uh, if you work in a business that put its core values on the wall and nobody ever refers to the core values, nor do they actually govern the running of the business, but they're nice ideals, like, oh, they're nice thoughts. We'll post them there. Maybe they'll influence somebody, right? When Jesus said it is better to give than receive, he was speaking of a universal, unseen truth in the universe. It is, in fact, better to give than to receive. Not because it's idealistically good, but because it will benefit you. When you move from consumer to giver, something beautiful happens in your heart. And you will experience something that is of more value than ownership. It will change you so that you experience the transforming power of grace, right? So the person giving the gift is benefited, and God benefits because He's ultimately the one that receives all the glory. As we're moved by grace to give, right, God is the initial cause, right? He gave His Son, the effect is that we're transformed by the receiving of that gift and become generous in our giving, which then produces more generous givers, people undone and impressed by grace. The whole thing simply abounds in a growing outflow of thankfulness to God. Verses 11, 12, you will, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That's one of the promises, right? So as you give, God promises to equip your giving, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing, catch that word, overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Super abundant. There is an outflow of life change that is greater than the investment. The effect is greater than the cause, right? When we give, we are sacrificing, right? We're giving something up so we can give, right? That's a basic principle we all know. That's why it sometimes hurts so much to give because we have to give up something, whether it's an extra cup of coffee or an extra game of golf or we've been saving up for a new car, we get a used car instead or a bigger home or, or the extra round of golf, in this, whatever it is, right? We, we have to give something up to give. And when we give in faith, what we're saying is, God, you're going to meet me in this and you're going to be more satisfying to me then whatever it is I'm giving up, I trust you that you will meet me in this, right? So it honors God. It says to God, you're more satisfying. You are, in fact, more glorious, right? And it changes us as we, as we move out to do that, right? But here's what I want you to think about. Whatever you're giving up is temporal. See, the things that you give up are not bad. Giving up a gourmet cup of coffee every day is not a... Gourmet coffee's not bad, right? A new car is not bad. A bigger home is not bad, a better savings account or retirement account. Those things are not bad, but they are temporal. 20 years from now, are you going to remember the coffee you drank this week? I doubt it. 20 years from now, are you going to remember the vacation you took? Possibly. But you know what you're really going to remember about that vacation? The people you were with. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's what really makes a vacation vibrant, isn't it? You can go to the most beautiful place in the world. If you're not with the right people, it's a horrible experience right? 
the point is that the money you spend on the vacation isn't what makes the vacation so satisfying. Yeah, you, will you remember the car 20 years from now? Yeah, you probably will. Oh, yeah, I kind of remember that car. I was so excited to get that thing. It was awesome, and then I got it. It was all right. You know what I'm saying? Like, things are always more exciting on the front end than on the back end. You know what I'm saying? Like, looking forward to it always builds it up into this thing that is going to be of such huge significance. And then we spend the money, and we get it, and we're like, yeah, yeah, it was all right. It was cool. Right? And then you get far enough away, and you're like, yeah, whatever. That's, that's, it has temporal value. It has temporal impact. What you're giving up is temporal. 20 years from now, it'll barely be a memory. But the return is eternal. You have the opportunity to give up something temporal to actually create something or be part of something that is eternal, the overflowing of thanksgiving to God. 20 years from now, we have the opportunity, you guys, think to give up something temporal to invest in something that 20 years from now will still be alive and active and vibrantly engaging our community and advancing the message of the gospel so people's lives are being changed and God is being glorified. We have the privilege of taking something temporal and investing into something eternal. That's what I'm talking about when I'm saying that God takes a cause and creates a greater effect. The stuff we're giving up is honestly of little value. It feels like a big sacrifice to us in the moment, but the reality is in the big picture, it's not that big of a sacrifice. But the result, the result is of eternal value. It's an eternal weight of glory, of thanksgiving to God, of lives being changed, of people embracing the work of Christ. And here's the thing, we don't even know how far the ripples will go. Right? We throw the stone of our generosity out into the pond. We have no idea how far those ripples will go or how many lives will be affected as the grace of God simply works through single acts of faithfulness to produce effects that are greater than the cost. All right, by way of illustration, I want to show you another video. Um, and there's a story behind this video. I'll explain the story after we watch the video. You know how sometimes it feels like life just happens? You know, just random things seem to fill your day. Things with little or no consequence to anyone else. I mean, I know God's in control of my life, but I never really saw how much He was weaving my story with other people's stories, and really, into His story. Well, that's all changed. It was a cold day, the kind where you really don't want to have some long conversation outside with someone, especially with someone you don't really know. But that's exactly what God had in mind. Amy and I had just eaten lunch at Dumplin's downtown Franklin, and we were walking to the car and we see this couple that I thought I recognized from church. It would have been awkward just to walk by them and not say anything, so we stopped and said hey and did the whole, yeah, yeah, you guys go to fellowship thing, whatever. Well, we start talking and the whole Dave Ramsey thing comes up. They asked us where we were in the process, and I told them that so far we paid off $60,000 but still had $10,000 left to go. They asked us what we would do when we were debt-free, and I laughed and told them, well, I told my kids I'd buy them a trampoline, what we really wanted to adopt, and we committed to being debt-free before we did. The whole conversation only lasted about three minutes. It was like, nice to meet you. That was random. Well, the next day... That random person shows up at my office with this brand new trampoline. I couldn't believe it. 
It was like, my kids are going to freak. I set it up that night, and my kids jumped on that thing for four hours. I mean, we didn't even know these people. They didn't have to do that. I mean, really, that's pretty generous. Well, the next day, I get an email from the same lady saying, Oh, you guys seem like a sharp couple, and we'd love to come by and talk to you about something. I emailed her back and said, That sounds like a multi-level marketing proposal. And if it was, we really weren't interested. Of course, she says it's not that sort of deal, but she was really persistent. She even called Amy. Amy had been sick, and it really wasn't a great time to have company over. Our house is a wreck, and we didn't feel like picking it up. We said everything short of, please don't come over to my house. So they show up, and I'm like, here we go. Let's get this over with. Don't say yes to anything. I couldn't believe they sunk their claws into us with that trampoline to get us involved in some pyramid scheme. Anyway, so we small talked for about five minutes, and then right when I thought they were about to drop the bomb, they did. But it wasn't the bomb I was expecting. So the lady says, well, we told you we'd only be a few minutes, and I really don't know how to say this, but we want to pay off your $10,000 left in debt so you guys can adopt. She pulls out her checkbook and goes, how do you spell your guys' names? What? Are you kidding me? Are you for real? I mean, who does that? Who writes somebody a check for $10,000 and gives it to people they don't even know? So they give us a check and they said, just don't act weird around us at church and just don't tell anybody it was us. And they drove off. I mean, Amy and I stood there for 10 minutes in total shock. And we cried and we screamed and we ran all over the yard and the house. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously, it was beyond belief. We realized nine months later when we brought Malaya home, the check they wrote us was dated nine months prior to Malaya's due date. They gave us that money right about the time our daughter was conceived. It was like God was saying, I have a baby out there for you right now. I'm not waiting around another two years for you to pay off that debt. We felt called to adopt, but we simply couldn't afford to do it on our own. We found that this random couple had already adopted four children and felt a calling to continue to serve through adoption. Rather than bringing more children into their home, they decided to help others adopt. It didn't just happen. It wasn't random at all. God knew his plan. He had just invited us to walk with him through this process. He was weaving our callings, our stories together for us to love and to care for each other, to make a beautiful tapestry for his glory. Thank you, Jesus. So pretty cool story, huh? Um, That video actually played a pretty cool part in my story. In uh, 2008, um, I was the family pastor over at The Journey, and uh, I had just been tapped to start driving over to the Metro East, over to Edwardsville, a place I had never been before, um, to start meeting with a small group of believers that were part of a failed church plant. And, uh, and so I found myself driving over on a weekly basis. And, and in 2008, Yancey Arrington, who's a pastor friend, um, came to preach at The Journey one week while Darren was um, traveling. And uh, Yancey gave a, a sermon, and, and, and he actually showed this video. This is the video he showed during his sermon. And I remember watching it, and at the time, I was like, nah, I don't even know if that's probably true. I mean, I'm just so, like, it's kind of corny. And I'm like, 
I don't know, it's ugly, skeptical heart. And, um, and so we watched the video, and, and uh, uh, here's the thing. I was, uh, during that time, driving 45 minutes back and forth between South County, where I lived in Edwardsville. I had a, uh, uh, an old truck that was a piece of junk. Um, I had already replaced the engine. Like a buddy and I literally went to a salvage yard because and, and, I had killed it and bought an engine, and we did an engine swap on the thing. It smoked. It smelled. It got, luckily, on a, on, on a good day, it got 18 miles to the gallon. Um, and in 2008, that's when the gas prices were just starting to really, I mean, they were skyrocketing. And, um, and so I'm making these drives, and, and it just, I, it, it was killing me. The mileage was killing me. The cost was killing me. The unpredictability, the unreliability of my car was killing me. So I'm like praying. I'm like, Lord, I really need a car. You're asking me to do something here, and, and I'm spending a lot of time on the road, and, and I really need a car. And, and so I started praying and, and uh, started looking at my bank account. We didn't have a lot of money, um, and about $3,000. I'm like, all right, Lord, how about if I just set this money? This wasn't, you know, this is our savings, but I'll, I'll use this for a car. Um, so I started doing some research, and I started thinking about what kind of car I wanted, because I'm looking on Craigslist. I'm looking, I'm like, I don't want to buy another piece of junk. Last thing I want is, is to buy trouble, right? And so I started doing this research, and I come to the conclusion that Hondas are really reliable, that I want a Honda, uh, that four cylinders get the best gas mileage, so I want a four cylinder. I'm happy with an Accord or Civic or whatever, just something small. Um, not real picky, but those were the two things. And so I started really just scouring Craigslist. I'm convinced that there is a deal out there for me, that God is going to, you know, so I'm like multiple times a day just getting on there and checking and and, uh, and every once in a while, something would pop up, and I'd be like, this is it, this is it. So I'd hop in my car, because you got to get on those things fast. I'd drive all the way across the city, and I would get there, and I would look at the thing and go, that is not the car that was in the picture. You know what I'm saying? You ever done that? It's like, that thing went through a flood or something. It is in bad shape. It is worse than what I'm driving, and there's no way I'm paying you for that, right? And so I'm going through this process. Um, I'm working, in a sense, two jobs, because I'm still the full-time family director for the journey, but I'm also, um, in the evenings and on the weekends, jetting back and forth to the Metro East to, to, um, to, to start setting up this new church plant that we were going to call the Journey Metro East, and, and um, honestly, it was a time of a lot of stress. It was a time of increased expense. It was a time where um, things were really hard. We were trying to sell our house. Um, that was the first time we put it on the market. Not a single person showing up to look at the thing. I mean, we, we cleaned it all up. We put it on the market. Not a, I'm like, we're like, Lord, what, what are you doing? <laughs> we're trying to follow you, and we don't know where you are. And I remember this was seriously frustrating and, and, and very hard. Um, and uh, I started praying specifically about the car. Um, I, had, I had gone to, heard a message by a guy named Terry Virgo. Terry Virgo is this old guy who is just a bundle of energy and hope. He is wonderful. Um, from Europe, and he was preaching about prayer. And, and I remember him very specifically just getting up there and saying, you know, Jesus taught us about prayer, and we need to take him at his word. You know, he said, we need to pray like an old woman coming to the door and asking for our three loaves of bread, right? Jesus tells a story about this woman who comes and knocks on the door in the middle of the night. I have visitors. I need three loaves of bread. And the person tries to ignore her, bangs on the door. I need my three loaves of bread, right? Eventually, the guy gives her three loaves of bread just to make her go away, right? Terry Virgo's like, pray like that. That's what Jesus is saying. Not that God is, is, is unconcerned, but he wants you to be active, and he wants you to come in faith and be very specific. And so I start praying. I'm like, I want my three loaves of bread, right? I want my car, right? I want a car. I want a Honda. I want, I want you know, this is, and, I'm, and it's not happening. All right, I get a call 
And I remember exactly where I was. I was actually standing in my bedroom. The call comes through. I look at my cell phone, and uh, it's a, a guy named Eric Bronner. Eric and his wife, Hallie, were friends, not really close friends, but friends. They, they served in Journey Kids. They were those kind of faithful volunteers that you could always count on, right? When they signed up, they always showed up, which was awesome. If you were in crisis and they showed up, they were always willing to go above and beyond and, and contribute. And so I had really come to value Eric and Hallie, and, and they were very pleasant people, kind people. Um, they weren't super close family friends, but, but definitely in the realm of friends. I liked them a lot. And so when he called, I grabbed him like, hey, Eric, what's happening, man? And uh, he's, like, he's like, Steve, I got, I, got, I got a weird question for you. I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? He's like, do you want a car? I'm like, mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of looking. Why? He's like, well, we have a car, um, and, and, and we could sell it. Hallie's mom gave us another car, and this is our old one, and, and we could sell it, but we've been praying about it. We really feel like God's telling us that we're supposed to give it to you. I'm like, huh, what kind is it? It's like, it's a Honda. Hmm. It's an Accord. It's a four-door. He's like, it's not the greatest. You don't have to take it. Really, it's like the paint's old. It's got some dents and dings. Uh, it's not the greatest. I'm like, huh. He's like, but it has leather seats. It has a sunroof. I'm like, that that's, sounds great, man. He's like, yeah, but, but it, it's the one with the four-cylinder engine. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, that, that'll be fine. <laughs> no joke. I hung up. Um, we had arranged that Sunday he was going to drive to church, hand over the title. And I just, I melted on my floor in tears. You want to know why it wasn't? It wasn't because of the car. You know why? It was because it was incredibly clear in that moment that God was blessing, that God was with us, that we were not alone their generosity triggered in me a heart of gratitude and, and worship to God. I was overwhelmed by the power, the presence, the provision of a God who loved me. I mean, holy cow, does it get much more specific than that, right? And, um, you know, Hallie and uh, Eric could have, could have sold that car. That was, you know, during that period of time, Hondas were hot, and they could have gotten enough money to take a vacation, you know, buy an entertainment center, probably both, I mean, honestly. Um, they could have used that money to, to do a number of things, um, but they prayed to the God who really owned the car, and as stewards, they humbled themselves and allowed God to lead them. And that car took me back and forth to Edwardsville for the next year. And every single time I was driving it, every single time I opened up the sunroof and cranked the music and prayed, I was reminded that there was a God who was going ahead of me, who was with me, who was blessing. And when things got frustrating and I climbed in my car to drive home, I was reminded that there is a God who loves me, who blesses me and provides for me. That car produced an outflowing of gratitude in my heart. I asked Eric why they um, wanted to give us a car. And he said, well, we were at church and Yancey was preaching and they showed this video and it got us thinking. 
you know, maybe we should do something with this car. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that couple who gave $10,000 and that trampoline to that other couple in Franklin have no idea I'm telling you this story today. They have no clue that I am, in fact, part of the ripple effect of grace. They threw a stone of generosity into a pond, and the ripple effect went out and only increased as it went. That's the way God works. God takes our small sacrifices and magnifies them for His glory and our good. That little truck um, was a blessing for years, and in fact, Victoria now drives it. Um, It's driving her around, you know, and it's still a blessing to our family. And um, lives, our lives, were affected through that and by that. You guys, that's what I'm talking about. That's the legacy effect, that God magnifies our faithfulness for His glory and our good, that God takes our simple sacrifices of temporal things, and He expands the effect into eternal benefit, eternal glory for His name and and the benefit of of, um, advancing the gospel, experience of grace in people's lives. So here's the day. Today, the deal. Today, today I'm I'm calling us as a body, as a church, to be faithful with the opportunity that God has put in front of us. This has been the theme of the last five weeks. That we are starting a three-year capital campaign. That this sermon series is an opportunity for us to to kick it off in a sense, um, to be very clear about the opportunities and challenges in front of us, and call our people to step up in generosity, um, to ultimately equip our church to move forward effectively, right? And the sacrifices that we make will benefit us, right? Our goal is to buy a building, and, and that's going to benefit us as a body. It's going to give us, in a sense, a, a place to, to be a family, to gather as a family, to celebrate as a family, to host meals, to do weddings, to, to do the things that families do together, right? Give us the freedom to, to worship. It's going to allow us to put down roots in this community so that we can grow in ministry and in influence in this community, right? So it's going to benefit not just us, but it's going to benefit others. Right? It's going to benefit our, our kids. <laughs> We've got a bunch of kids running around here, right? How beautiful is it, the fact that, that, that what we're doing is investing in something that is going to impact people that, that live well beyond us. It's going to impact people we don't even know yet. People in this community that are far from God but need God. People that are hurting and need to hear about the, the balm of grace. People's marriages are falling apart and they need the, 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 ministering, recon, the, the reconciling ministry of the Holy Spirit to come in and help them to find unity in their marriage. People that, that are, are, are finding their lives desperately hopeless. We need to hear about a message of hope. We need to, it's going to equip us to move forward as, as ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ. And it's going to impact people's lives, people we don't even know yet, right? So it's an investment that's for us, but it's beyond us for people we don't even know, people we haven't even met yet, who will be impacted by the gospel of grace through the ministry of Trailhead Church. And this sacrifice, this act of faithfulness, will be like a rock dropped in a still pond. And the ripples will go out, and those ripples will increase as they go. And God will get much glory. There will be a rich harvest of gratitude to God as people's lives are changed. We have no idea who or how many will be blessed 
through our giving. But we do know that God promises to magnify our faithfulness. Let me reread you verses 12 through 13, making it very personal to us. For the ministry of this service, the ministry of this capital campaign, the raising of this money, is not only supplying the needs, our needs as believers, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they, the people that are that we don't even know yet, the people that are going to be impacted, the people that are going to receive the benefit of this sacrifice, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of our submission, flowing from our confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of our contribution for them and for all others. This is so cool about grace. God doesn't need us, but He is pleased to work through us so that He can get the glory and we can get the joy. We know that we cannot outgive God. He is the original giver, and it's only in response to His gift that we are moved to generosity. And Paul wraps up his, his teaching in verse 15 by reminding us of that very thing. In verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. The original rock thrown into the pond, of course, was the coming of Christ. Him living the life we should have lived, dying the death we deserve to die, rising again in blessing, not just for His glory, but for our good. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. At the end of the day, we won't be singing the glory of our giving. We won't be singing the glory of our sacrifice. We'll be singing the glory of the God who equipped us to move forward on mission. So we're going to go into our time of reflection, and um, our, our ushers are going to come, and, and um, they're going to pass the baskets. And this time around, what we're asking for is actually the commitment cards at the back of those little booklets. We've been handing out those booklets for the last five weeks, the, uh, the capital campaign booklets. If you forgot yours, look on the chair in front of you. We have them underneath the seats. We have them um, right there in front of you, so you can grab one. And there's a commitment card right at the back. And, of course, what we're doing, as we've mentioned over the last five weeks, is asking people to commit what they will be giving over the next um, three years to our capital campaign, to our effort to move forward on mission. Um, And so we're going to ask, as the baskets are passed, that you drop your commitment card in the basket. Our leaders have led out. That's what leaders do, right? They take the first step and they invite others to join them. And our leaders have already committed over $315,000 to this campaign, which is awesome, but we have a long way to go. And so we're inviting you this morning to join us, to put skin in the game, to be part of the sacrifice so that you can be part of the blessing, right? And to do so joyfully and freely and sacrificially. If for some reason you are not ready this morning, if there was, you know, still a loose end or something you want to pray about or, or, you know, whatever it is, you can, you can still fill out a response card this week. In fact, you can do it online at our Capital Campaign website. If you just go to trailheadonline.org, there's a a banner. There's also a link at the top called Give. If you click that, it'll take you to our capital campaign site. Click the comment card, and it'll actually pull up an online form, and you can fill out the exact same thing that's in front of you just in digital format and submit that. We would ask you to do it this week, though, because we plan to announce next week what the total committed amount is so that we know what we're working toward. And then we're going to ask you to pray about our first fruits offering. On December 15th, we'll be taking an offering, and it'll be separate from our regular offering. It's a first fruits offering, and we're going to ask that if God gives you the ability, you give 10% of your total pledge on that Sunday. 
If he doesn't give you the ability to give 10%, ask him how much you have to give, right? Just follow him. He'll tell you. Uh, but it's our way of getting that first push on the merry-go-round and get this thing spinning, right? And, um, and begin with the sacrifice so that we can begin with the blessing. All right, we are at a historic crossroads of challenge and opportunity as a young church. We have the opportunity to invest in the power of the gospel, to move into this community, transform this community, free people into the, the beauty of grace. It is time for us to get greedy. Get greedy for grace. Get greedy for a legacy. Get greedy for impact in this community. Get greedy for all the right things instead of greedy for the wrong things. Knowing that God loves it when we step out and we walk in faith. Because in stepping out, what we're saying is, I trust you and I love you. And you're going to meet me in ways that I know this money never could. When we sacrifice in faith, we also trust that he will multiply the results and that the effect of our giving will be way greater than what we actually give for his glory, for us, and for others. So let's pray. We'll go into our time of response, and we will uh, collect our uh, commitment cards. We'll share communion together in a moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, you are that you are a God on mission, that, and that your mission is ultimately to, um, to make your name great. And you do that by blessing. You do that by unleashing your good in our lives so that we're freed in gratitude. Father, I pray that you will bless um, our effort to move forward, to raise the money we need to take advantage of the opportunities in front of us to rise above the challenges that threaten us, that you will ultimately free us. Lord, I pray that truly you would transform our hearts through this process, that you would not simply provide us a building, that we do provide, we do pray for that, but that you will change our hearts so that we're the right kind of people to inhabit that building, that we are a people undone by grace and moving out in generosity, that the building is not an end in and of itself, but it is simply a springboard, a means to an end, which is to continue to move forward in grace and generosity and love in this community. Father, supply our needs. You're the one who can. Move our hearts to be generous. Free us. That we might be greedy for grace. Make your name great.